Our scripture text this morning comes from John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 5 through 42. It's a long passage, but such a wonderful, rich story. And so as I read, I invite you to settle yourselves in and really imagine the scene before you. Listen for a word from God. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to her, to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? The woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? 
But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that water can literally move mountains? I remember reading a uh, scientific study that came out of the University of Bristol a few years ago about uh, experiment where they had studied the effects of rainfall on mountains. And they learned through this study, not just that a mountain would change because of erosion in a very sort of predictable way, but that rain could do other fascinating things to mountains, like make the water pool in a way that literally pulls rocks up from the earth and makes the mountain bigger. Rain can change and move mountains. Water has power that we often don't realize. It seems so delicate and unimpressive. But there's something about water. Last week, Pastor Garrett spoke about the need to move beyond us versus them storytelling. And he shared a little bit about our daughter Naima with this thinking in her dance class. But we've all gotten so used to this us-versus-them storytelling of good guys and bad guys, of thinking we're a them and they're, we're an us and they're a them, and we're just used to being in that mode. So I have an update about dance class, and if you, if you missed it, Garrett shared that we've been taking Naima to a toddler and parent dance class at Detroit Dance Center the past couple of months. And as many of you have witnessed, she's a very observant child and likes to take things in before she participates, doesn't talk a lot at first interaction with people, and just soaks it all in. So for the first four or five weeks of this dance class, she had us hold her the entire time while we were doing the dances, and she just watched and studied and was clearly thinking, I don't know about all these people. But then two weeks ago, she asked to be put down, and she started to do all the dance moves, and she stepped into this reality of being a part of the group, and it was so fun to watch as her parents. So this past week, she did it again. She did all the moves. She was just crushing it, and we got to dance next to her, not with her in our arms, which was a great relief for my back in many ways. But yesterday, this went even a step further. Her grandparents uh, gifted her with 
tickets to the Detroit Symphony Orchestra Tiny Tots concert series. So we've gone to three concerts over the past year designed for little kids, and yesterday was this great children's band that encouraged a lot of singing and dancing and clapping and actions. And this was a much bigger group than dance class, right? There's 100, maybe 150 kids and their caregivers in this big auditorium. And again, Naima jumped straight in and was singing and dancing and doing the motions and clapping along. And at one point during one of the early songs, she turned to me and said, just like dance class. And you could tell she just got this. This is something we all do. This is part of us. And I was just beaming. You know, somehow we are so used to going into us versus them thinking that we forget something amazing can happen when we let that go. The reality of God's world is much bigger than us and them. And somehow we see God more clearly when we're not so concerned with who is an us and who is a them. So what happens when we do drop that thinking? This story of the Samaritan woman gives us a wonderful first glimpse. Now, the story of the woman at the well is full of opportunities to talk about us and them. Jesus is traveling as part of his ministry, and it says he has to go through Samaria. So historians and theologians um, have great debates about whether he actually had to geographically or if he had to theologically, because really there were alternate routes to get where he was going. But there's something about this interaction in this particular place that's important enough to dwell in and important enough for Jesus to go to. So they get to Samaria, and Jesus sits at this well and sends the disciples off to get food. A woman comes to draw water, and Jesus engages in conversation with her. The us versus them voices are screaming out from the text at this point. First, there is the obvious Jewish versus Samaritan divide, and it is a deep one. As the text points out, the Jewish people and the Samaritans do not engage with each other. They do not ask things of each other. And it's a history we have talked about at times with the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example. But as a reminder, there is deep troubled relationship between these two people. And they were a people that used to be united, used to be one under the same religious umbrella. But the divide began when the Assyrians occupied the land. And then the Samaritans grew further apart from the Jewish people in about 200 BC when they started to debate where the true place of worship was. The Samaritans had built a shrine place of worship on Mount Gerizim, and the Jewish people had the temple on the mount in Jerusalem, and both said, no, this is the only true place to worship. So the divide grew bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that they would not even associate with one another. And I think one of the reasons this divide is so big is because, because these people had started out so close. It wasn't a foreign occupying enemy from far, far away. They were essentially the same family, and sometimes we know those divides are the biggest. 
Most Jewish travelers would avoid Samaria altogether, would go around it. And the fact that Jesus is there in the first place is a really big deal. Then the fact that he engages in conversation with a Samaritan is scandalous. So we feel that Jewish-Samaritan us-versus-them divide pretty intensely. And next, there is the male and female divide. Culturally and religiously, it would have been incredibly taboo for Jesus to be talking to a woman like this and conversing with her as an equal. As intense as the Jewish-Samaritan divide is, it's this male-female us-versus-them dynamic that makes the disciples so astonished. The text said that when they came back, that's what they were concerned about, that he was speaking with a woman. So right off the cuff, we see two us-versus-them norms being challenged by Jesus as he talks with this woman at the well. And we are very used to us-versus-them mentalities and moments, so we can relate with that aspect of this scene. I have a pastor mentor named Michael who returned not too long ago from a visit to the Holy Land, and he was talking about the, the norm, the cultural norm in that area of the first question you ask someone when you meet them. And in this land, as you know, there's a lot of religious tension between Christians and Jewish folks and Muslims. And so often when locals will meet each other, they will ask this question, what were you born? What were you born? And of course, you're supposed to answer with your national identity, with your cultural identity, with your religious identity. But it's this idea that when you very first meet someone, you need to figure out which box to put them in. What were you born? We like to categorize people. We're currently seeing devastating effects of us versus them, obsessed thinking with anti-drag legislation in Tennessee and other states, and general hostility toward trans and non-binary people. Us and them thinking makes us want to categorize everyone often so that the group with the most power can control people in all the other boxes that they've put in. It makes all of us a little less human when we do that, a little less like the creatures God made us to be. We're called to move beyond us and them thinking, but not just because it's the right thing to do. So why are we called? What happens after we move outside of us and them thinking. Let's look at this conversation a little closer with the woman at the well. Jesus asks her for a favor. He asks her for nourishment, for water. And she's shocked that he's talking with her, but she engages with him. And he tells her that he can actually supply living water and she's intrigued, doesn't quite understand what he means, but says, I want this thing that you're talking about. Then Jesus reveals that he knows her most intimate life. He knows that she has had five husbands and that she is with someone now who is not a husband. Now I want to pause a little bit at this point of the story because I think this is a part where people, people often get the interpretation wrong. 
they look at this assessment of her relationship status and they jump to, oh, she's a sinner and Jesus is jumping in to speak to her sin. If you look a little closer, you see that there's not actually judgment coming from Jesus at this. He doesn't say to her like he does to others, go and sin no more. Jesus is simply revealing that he knows her past, present, and future. A woman in this day and age would not have any agency or control in who she was married to or when or how. So whatever this confusing marital situation is, it is not her fault. In fact, she might very reasonably be following the law of a Levite marriage where she marries the brother of a husband who is deceased. And she could very legitimately be, have married to all of these people and the final one has refused to marry her and she is in this situation stuck. We don't know the details. But Jesus does not offer judgment. He speaks this reality to show that he knows her. That he knows all about her life. There's a tendency to focus on real and imagined sins of particularly female characters in the Bible. We see this with Tamar. We see this with the misconception that Mary Magdalene is a prostitute, which there is no evidence for. And we see this with this woman at the well that she's often jumped to being called promiscuous or polygamist. And when we do that, we miss out on the realities of the women's ministry, their power, their effect on spreading the news of Jesus. Jesus mentioning this woman's relationship is about knowing her. She shows no shame after it is revealed that he knows it. She's shocked. And then it leads her to say, you are a prophet. You know me, you know who I am. And with that knowledge, she asks him the question that's been on her mind about this divide between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. So where is the true place to worship? Is it here on Mount Gerizim or is it at the temple in Jerusalem? And what does Jesus say next? He reveals that the true God is bigger than the divide. It's bigger than the place where they worship. He says the day is coming and is here now where we are called to worship in spirit and in truth not here or there. That somehow is the kind of living water that he's offering, not something that comes from the well, but something much bigger. So the disciples come back at this point. They're shocked that he is speaking with a woman, and the woman leaves to go tell others what she has encountered. She leaves her water jug at the well and runs back to the city to offer testimony. She says to the people she encounters, come and see what I've found. This, this one, this prophet, knows me. I wonder if he could be the Messiah, truly. So what happens when we let go of us versus them thinking? The pastor, Michael, who recently came back from the Holy Land, shared about an Israeli Christian priest that he met named Father Sharkur. And at that question that is often asked in that part of the world, what were you born? Father Sharkur had 
some interesting words. He said, first, I stopped asking people that question. Instead, when I met them, I'd ask about their family or their interests or their work. And then when people asked me, what were you born, I started to say, a baby. <laughs> I was born a baby. And many people would laugh. And with that humor in the moment, they would enter into relationship and conversation with each other before they even learned what national religious box to put the other in. What happens when we let go of us versus their, them thinking? Father Charcot started a school that was very intentionally designed for Christian, Jewish, and Muslim students to learn side by side. It was his passion project in a very successful school model in a place where that is not the norm. When we let go of us and them thinking, we laugh, we learn side by side, and we think about others in a way that lets the box dissolve. One other thing about the concert we were at with Naima yesterday, we sat um, near the back in a row of bleachers next to another little girl who had a lot of Naima's same tendencies. This girl was probably four, she was a little bit older, but she was very, very shy. And she sat like this and kind of watched us and kind of watched the other people and sat with her hands in her lap as the concert went on. And about halfway through, as Naima is dancing and clapping and singing along, she turned and looked at this little girl, and without a word, the girl stood up and started dancing. Naima's participation invited another's. When we let us versus them dissolve, we become creatures of invitation and not exclusion. The woman at the well brought these people back from the Samaritan city, and they asked Jesus to stay with them. He stayed in this enemy territory for two days and got to know them so well that they believed. It changed the people in this place. When Jesus partners with an enemy woman in ministry, people start to believe. They worship in spirit and in truth. They stop focusing on their own conflict of right and wrong. They live out living water. And in this way, the water that Jesus offers actually moves mountains. The mountains of true worship are no longer physical places like Mount Gerizim or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They are in the hearts of the people. In spirit and truth, the living water has made the mountains move. When we let us and them fade away, we laugh, we learn with each other, we invite others into life, into dance, we speak of God, we wonder together, we see the one worthy of worship, and we act out that worship in our hearts and our actions. When us and them fades away, we reflect the love of God the way we were intended to. Would you pray with me? 
Holy God, we thank you for the water that you offer us, a water that quenches the true thirst that we have every day. Lord, help us to be people who share that water with others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.